Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Unruffled ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. There's nothing like being totally engrossed in a good mystery or thriller. Audible has thousands of immersive audiobook titles to spark your imagination and get your heart thumping. Since it's summer, you might want to check out The Vacation Rental. Very well told and very unsettling. You won't want to turn it off. And since this is a parenting podcast, I should also mention that audiobooks are a wonderfully enriching experience for children because they aren't passive entertainment like other kids' media. They engage your child's imagination and can nurture both listening and language skills. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. New members can try Audible for free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash unruffled or text unruffled to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days. That's audible.com slash unruffled or text unruffled to 500-500 today. You can count on T-Mobile to help keep you connected. After investing billions to light up their network from big cities to small towns, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, when you switch to T-Mobile, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus Verizon and AT&T. Visit your neighborhood store or tmobile.com to switch. Plan savings with T-Mobile, third line free on essentials via monthly bill credits versus comparable available plans. Plan features may vary. Credits stop if you cancel or change plans. Hi, this is Janet Lansbury and welcome to Unruffled. This week I'll be responding to a letter from a working mom who's trying to help her 14-week-old learn to play independently. I want to remind everybody that both of my books are available on audio at audible.com. That's No Bad Kids, Toddler Discipline Without Shame, and Elevating Child Care, A Guide to Respectful Parenting. They're also in paperback at Amazon and an ebook at Amazon and Barnes and Noble and also apple.com. Here's the note I received. Good afternoon, Janet. I came across your website and have been exploring a lot of the emails you post from other questioning parents, and I was curious if you could give me some guidance on a struggle I'm experiencing. I'm a first-time mother to a beautiful 14-week-old son. I'm back to work full-time for the last four weeks, and my son goes to an in-home daycare. We're struggling with independent play with my son. When we put him on the floor, he will only stay content for maybe 20 minutes, tops sometimes only a couple of minutes before he's screaming. When I do tummy time with him, he is only content for maybe five minutes before he gives up, lays his face or head on the ground, and is screaming and crying to be saved, to which I give in. When we lay him down on the ground, he often tries to sit up himself, trying to lift his head off the ground, and when he's placed under an activity gym, he will look around for a bit at the toys hanging above him and kick like crazy but this does not usually last long. I have to admit I do baby wear a lot when we are home to get things done because he's not content being on the ground. And when he is in our arms, we do carry him sitting up so he can look around at the world. His inability to play by himself for more than 20 minutes has caused some difficulty at the daycare. The woman that runs it tells us every time I pick him up that he cannot keep himself occupied and on more than one occasion... I have gotten out of work and gone to the daycare to find him lying under an activity gym or in a rockin' place, screaming and crying with big old tears coming down his face. I'm just wondering if you have any guidance on how to make my son enjoy independent play more. 
for my boy, myself, and for the daycare woman's sake. I don't like finding him crying it out at that home, and I surely don't have the heart to let him cry for more than five minutes before I am saving him. Thanks in advance for all your direction. Okay, so establishing independent play with infants is a gradual process. And, you know, ideally it will begin by us noticing when our child is comfortable just being there and is maybe paying attention to something. And this could happen within the first couple of weeks of life that our child is gazing in a direction. And rather than interrupting, we, we wait, we notice, and we allow for that time. We kind of, you know, cultivate that time when our child is engaged in their own self-directed activity. You know, of course, with a very young infant, that will just be the direction they're looking in, the way that they're moving their bodies. They begin to examine their hands, and their hands are often their first toys that they're obsessed with. They're trying to figure out how these (laughs) magical fingers and, and hands work. They tend to be fascinated by that. And, you know, this mother mentions 20 minutes. Well, that's that's a long time. Um, and then I would definitely not leave him crying. Um, I would respond immediately. But the way we respond matters. In fact, this will sort of make or break our child's ability to play. And the way we begin play matters in that, you know, as I said in the beginning, we'll be maybe noticing times when our child is engaged. We'll be placing our child down. Whenever we place our child down, ideally in the beginning, I would only do that on their back because that in that position, they're free to move and it feels more comfortable to them. They can move their bodies. They're not stuck with their face down in the carpet or in a, on a blanket and they can feel competent and enjoy this time. But I would always do this slowly, tell my child before this happens Now I'm going to place you down in your play area or in your bassinet or in your crib or in your playpen, doing it slowly. Um, I wish you could see me here, but I'm, I'm carefully laying my baby down on their back and I'm not allowing their head to just drop onto the floor. I'm really supporting the neck and the head so it, everything goes down very gently and our child feels placed down, not, you know, plopped down. And we don't just turn and walk away right there or expect something to happen. We're really there watching and being present and noticing, you know, that we've placed our child in this position and they're still going to have our attention. So we're not just, you know, because like all of us, our child, our babies don't want to feel like we're dumping them down and we're leaving. This has to be approached in a gentle focused manner for our child to be able to get comfortable and see this as a positive thing. And soon they will, you know, very soon if we handle this um, respectfully and with empathy and with attunement to what's going on with our child. If we see discomfort or if we hear our child, you know, um, make a sound that sounds uncomfortable, then immediately respond, but verbally. Um, This mother mentions a few times saving. She wants to save him. Well, the problem with saving a baby is that the baby gets the message. You know, when we go and scoop them up, oh, you're crying, and immediately we pick them up, that baby is being saved. They know it. And what does that mean? 
that means that they needed to be rescued, that there was something negative going on there. There was something dangerous going on there. And that is how they will feel. That's the message they'll hear in that. And that's not going to encourage them to want to be there anymore, you know, if we're thinking in terms of saving them from some terrible fate. (laughs) So instead, if we could respond only to what we're getting and not overdoing it, So we hear some sounds, you know, maybe it's not even crying yet. It's just a little bit of, you know, grunting or or, um, complaining. And we respond, wow, I hear you. And we notice what's going on with our child. Does our child look like they're kicking their legs? Maybe they have some tummy issue. Do they look like they're trying to twist and they're, you know, straining their bodies? Or do they look like they're looking at us with that look like, help, I'm hungry, (laughs) or, you know, I'm tired, and I don't want to be here right now. Or maybe I'm teething, and there's pain. So the only way we're going to know, and, and the only way we're going to be able to respond in a way that encourages our baby to, number one, communicate with us, number two, not feel like they are sort of abandoned when they're playing, until we save them. (laughs) And Three, you know, this will, we'll be able to really help them with what's going on and, and talk to them about it. So we're not always going to know. You know, I would share those thoughts. Hmm, I hear you, and you don't seem too happy there right now. Let me see. Hmm, how's your tummy? And Maybe we'll stroke our baby's tummy and see if that's helpful. Sometimes it helps to actually lie down next to the baby if, if that's possible, if they're on the floor, not, you know, that's not going to be possible in a, a crib or in a playpen. But if they're on the floor, we can lie down next to them and say, hey, wow, what's going on? I hear you. Are you not liking this right now? So calming ourselves, tuning in, not projecting frantic emergency, you know, saving our baby, really just having a conversation. And this is, you know, the beginning of our relationship of communication. So it's very, very important to start that opening that door to our child. You know, I want to know what's going on with you. I'm not going to make assumptions. I'm not going to assume that it's a dire emergency or that, you know, you need to be fixed by being swooped up. I want to really see so I can address you and I can know you right now and what's going on with you. So that will help your child to play. Because, you know, they're still getting your attention. And then you can see that there'll be times as your child gets used to this. And I would, I would do this certain times of day. I would have a predictable routine, not on the clock, but a sequence of events that your child can look forward to and depend on and feel kind of on top of. And you're going to remind your baby after we nurse right now, we're going to go into your play area. And I'm going to be placing you down and I'll be hanging out with you a bit and watching you. And then I'm going to get up and go to the bathroom or to the kitchen. So giving our child that information and then then when the time comes that we are getting up to leave, we say, we don't try to sneak out. We say, I'm going to be going now and I'll be right back. I have to go do this or that or the other thing. And then if our child responds, you know, crying or something, then I might still do it, but I would obviously not push it and do it longer than I had to. But I would say, wow, I hear you. You don't want me to do this right now. I'll be right back. You know, if it was just some arbitrary thing that you didn't need to do, then I wouldn't. 
But if it was something that, you know, you wanted to go turn off something on the stove or make your cup of tea, then I would do that, you know, quickly, but not rushing around. But really allowing your child to know that that you aren't afraid of your baby communicating with you, you know, because the cry usually doesn't mean, I'm desperate, I need you right this second. It'll sound like that <laughs> to us, but it could mean, no, I don't want you to get up right now. So what all of this does is it makes this into a comfortable experience for our baby because we're comfortable and we're not trying to, you know, sneak away or make it work or, you know, put our child down abruptly and, you know, he's not playing very long and now he cried and this is a problem. We're really taking it moment by moment and trusting that our child actually can communicate with us at a very young age. I know a lot of people will balk at that suggestion, but it's true. Try it. You'll see. A couple of other things mentioned in this note that I wanted to address. She says tummy time. Um, with the Rye approach, Magda Gerber's approach, we don't recommend tummy time. We recommend waiting until your baby can move into that position all on their own from their back, because then your baby's your baby has the opportunity to develop the strength and flexibility and the strength in their neck that they need. And they're, we're not putting undue strain on them to try to be lifting their heads prematurely. And they feel more autonomous. They feel more comfortable. They can do things. They can play. You know, try being on your tummy without really being able to move very much. There's not a lot you can do. You can't move your hands. You can't move your feet very easily. You can't bend your knees. You can't twist. It's, it's much harder in that position. Babies are pretty much frozen in that position in the early months. We trust the baby to know when they are ready to be in that position by rolling to it themselves. So it makes sense that he's not content in the tummy time position. Most babies aren't when they are in the first couple of months of life. It's very uncomfortable for them. Then she also says, when we lay him down on the ground, he often tries to sit up himself, trying to lift his head off the ground. Well, the interesting thing about that is that babies will not do that unless they have been placed upright or in a sitting position. And it sounds like that that's what's happened with this baby. And, you know, it happens with most babies. It certainly would have happened to my baby because I was putting her in a uh, bouncy seat before I came across Magda Gerber's approach. And so those were her first few months of life. I can't remember if she used to try to put her head up and, and lift up like that, but I see babies doing this in my classes, and it is the result of being propped up or placed in an upright position or a sitting position and having us be the ones that actually bend them at the waist that way. And then they're just, you know, trying to do what they're used to doing. That is not the way a baby will sit up independently. Baby will sit up from their side on the floor and they will move into that position from all fours or on their side, what I call the centerfold position lying on their side or sort of on all fours, they will get into that sitting position that way. So it's not really sitting up. It's trying to attain a position that they're used to, that they've been placed in. And then placed under an activity gym, that with the approach that I teach is a little bit too stimulating. Being placed under an activity gym is sort of being trapped underneath something that's in your face. And 
you know, you've got to kind of turn your head and look to the side to get away from it. So I, from the Rye approach, from Magda's approach, that would be considered uh, not giving the baby choice and sort of forcing them to stare at the activity gym, which is, is kind of, can be kind of overwhelming for babies. But, you know, it can also be kind of claustrophobic, just too close, and there's not enough room to, to breathe under all this these dangly things. If you think through the eyes of a baby, if you see through the eyes of a baby, you know, imagine that. It's, it's, it's a bit much. And they don't need that much entertainment. I mean, think about it. They're on their backs. They can turn their heads, look all over the room. The only thing they can't see is the ground beneath their heads. They can see everything. It's from a different angle than what we're used to being upright, but it's just as extensive. And there's so much for them to look at that's interesting to them. They don't need some child-designated stuff dangling in front of them. So it also makes sense that he doesn't last long in that position under those things. You know, there just isn't a lot of choice and it's, you know, really they kind of feel stuck. And then she says that she baby wears a lot um, at home and that's fine, but that's going to give him the sense that this is the way he should be during the day. You know, babies learn this from us. They learn, you know, if that's the norm then that's what he's going to be used to. And it doesn't mean that he could, couldn't get used to something else, but it's just something to keep in mind and maybe to say to him when, when you're placing him down and maybe he's not happy, just say, yeah, I know, I've been carrying you a lot today. Now I'm, we're doing something different where you can move, actually move your body. That's different, isn't it? And I'll lay next to you and give you the closeness of when I was carrying you. You know, you could lay right next to him. You could have your arms around him but just giving him that freedom of movement so that he can get used to that this is a good place for me to be during the day too. You know, this is a good activity for me. Another thing about baby wearing is that it is passive entertainment for the baby. The baby's not making choices on how long to look at something or how long to be doing something. The baby's sort of a passenger to what we're doing. It doesn't give babies the experience and the practice and really the joy of directing their own play. So then she talks about the daycare and the difficulty at daycare. And yes, so I think that will be helped a lot by what this mother practices at home. And maybe I would even make more of a concerted effort than uh, she might have, because it's so important for him to be comfortable in this other place without her. You know, that's going to be a somewhat stressful situation for him, as it would be for any child, when you can't communicate that easily, and people don't know you that well, and, you know, you're trying to be there and be okay there. That is a situation that we want him to feel as comfortable in as possible. And that means helping him get used to the way it's going to be there for him, which, you know, she can't carry everybody around, and I don't think that would be that great for them, you know, because they wouldn't get the opportunities to play. So understanding that it's up to us as parents to make that work, you know, I mean, they can do their best at the daycare to try to adjust to his needs, and they should. But really, I think it's more up to us to do the work to make sure that our child can have the easiest transition possible. So then this mother talks about finding him upset. And I, you know, I don't know what's going on at the at the daycare and how they handle the crying. And if they have the staff, hopefully to be able to 
you know, respond immediately to all the children when they're upset, you know, again, responding immediately, but not jumping in to swoop and change their bodies and move them around and, you know, overdo things, overreact to really respond in a attuned manner, which means in a small way, (laughs) just talking, just connecting the back and forth communication between two people to understand what that other person's experience is at that moment, and what we can do to help. So she says, I don't have the heart to let him cry for more than five minutes before I am saving him. But again, you know, this is the way that we commonly respond to babies is that, oh, they're crying, and we're not saying anything. And then, oh, gosh, you know, I can't let them cry anymore. I'm going to pick them up instead of you're crying. Oh, wow, what's going on? I see you, you're moving your hands around. I don't know, you look, yeah, you look like you really need me to pick you up, do you? Okay, I think you're saying that you are, so I'm going to pick you up. And then pick him up, but maybe stay sitting down so that he doesn't have this feeling that he gets lifted up into the air and saved, (laughs) so that he feels like you're just doing something to help him be more comfortable, but you're not overdoing it and not giving the message that, it's really not okay for you to be down there crying. This is like an emergency situation. So I think generally we all have the tendency as parents to overreact in these situations and to pick up and act like it's everything's frantic. And that is something that I would be thoughtful around. Slowing down, really connecting, really seeing that there is a person there from birth. There's a person in there. And really looking into that person's eyes trying to understand what's going on and what they need. You know, that's going to start with calming ourselves and trusting that crying is our baby's communication and it communicates a wide variety of things. Very few of them are actually emergencies. So in no way am I suggesting to ignore a baby or let them cry. I mean, yes, let them cry if they need to tell you something, but it's really more allowing, allowing them to communicate tuning in, hearing, listening, trying to find out what they need, observing, taking that time to get to know your baby. And all of this will help play. So keep the faith. He's very young still, and he's already making a huge adjustment to be able to go to the daycare. He's doing a lot and just one step at a time, he'll get there. But the main thing is to trust that this is an okay experience for him to have. He's going to end up loving his independent play. If you've ever looked at my Facebook page and seen all the stories and seen all the babies playing and the, you know, toddlers playing and their creativity and their imagination, this this is how it starts. It starts with letting a baby be active in their play, make choices, be the, as Mug Gerber said, the writer, director, and lead actor. What we are is the audience, <laughs> supporter, and, you know, craft service. <laughs> we bring the We help our baby get their food and sleep and, you know, set designer. We get to decide what objects are in their area. Maybe a four-month-old would be just starting to grasp. And before that, really, the hands and the feet, what's going on in their body, what they're doing with their body, looking around the room, looking at us, that is their focus of their play. So less is more and just tune in. And thank you so much for tuning in and listening to me today. We can do this. If you like Unruffled, you can listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app 
or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com slash survey.